The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome into the Ringer Gambling Show. Austin Gale here with Warren Sharp, ripping it up. We're heading into week 14, and I have a story for you. I, 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 I've been going to a bougie, no free ads on the Spotify Podcast Network here, but I've been going to a bougie LA coffee shop on the walk into the office. I walk into the office. I only live like eight minutes away. And today, I got a cold brew black. It's what I get every time if they have cold brew. And they, they asked, cream or sugar? I said no. And they said, would you like bright or bold? And I'm like, what the fuck is bright or bold? And I was, I, I literally laughed in the barista's face. And she's like, light or dark roast. I was like, okay, light roast works. Is bright or bold just like an LA positive reframing of two words that are obviously like contrasting words or light and dark and dark maybe a more negative undertone? I, like, is LA just trying to be more positive and more glass half full with light versus dark roast? Or is that more common? Like, have you run into that as well where people are like, you want bright or bold? I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before, but in all honesty, my my, my go-to, I'm just like an old standard uh, smashing Keurigs left and right at the helm really? here. And so I'm not really, uh, I, know, I know you're more sophisticated, but I also drink like double to triple the coffee that you do. So you like your coffee a certain fancy way, maybe not bright or bold fancy, but you're only drinking like one or two cups a day. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I usually am at two to three, two to three. It's, okay, two, it, every, three. Every, every day is two. I, I haven't drank one cup of coffee in a long time. But every day is two. But sometimes I'll push to three. You're on a whole different level. And I, I've been on that Keurig grind before. I just feel like it starts to taste like shit after a while. Like, I don't know. Like, coffee, I still, I like, I don't get cream or sugar. It's black every single time. I'm a big iced coffee guy, whether it's cold brew or, or iced coffee. And I like the taste of coffee. Like, I like just a black coffee on ice. But Keurig, and, and sometimes if you go to, like, 
you know, uh, some of these like espresso machines that are in offices never are that great. And like, I like a good coffee. It's a part of my morning I enjoy. Now, should it be bright or bold? I said, I laughed and I said both. And then she's like, no, light or dark roast. But like, um, I, I found it funny that like in, in LA and like arguably like one of the most bougie coffee shops I've ever been in. They're like bright or bold. And like, it's just like a, this positive reframing of like something that doesn't need that. Like just to, light or dark roast is like a literal thing. Like, are you roasting it light or roasting it dark? There's also like medium roast. I don't know. It was hilarious. For coffee, for me, I need it like what I need from Dennis Allen and Todd Bowles. It's like, just do your damn job. Like figure it out, <laughs> call the right plays. Stop punting the ball when you don't need to punt the ball. Stop throwing passes on third and one when you should be trying to run out the clock a little bit better. Like do, do your job and then I'll be satisfied. Coffee for me is like, just give me energy that I need to go. And I'm sure that there's like other things that I could do instead of just drinking coffee to get the type of energy since I'm not really in it for the enjoyment element so much as I am for just doing the, its job. Uh, but yeah, coffee's like just a just an old staple to just get that job done for me. But uh, I, I think I think in this first game we're going to discuss. We do have a couple of coaches that are uh, making a difference for their teams, especially when you talk about Kevin O'Connell, Austin. Absolutely, Lions Vikings are going to Detroit to play the Lions. I was looking at the look ahead lines on one of the books, and it looked like seven days ago or eight days ago this line was Lions plus three at home, and now I think it. After after Sunday, that line was one and a half. Lions favored by one and a half, and now it's out to two and a half. Lions favored by two and a half. Now that movement isn't as significant getting through another key number, like say the Lions got out to three or three and a half. That obviously would be bigger line movement, but still to see the line go from Vikings minus three to Lions minus two and a half in a week where there aren't significant injuries. Like I was double checking injury reports to see if Kirk Cousins was tweaked something or or whatever it may be. Lions are favored by two and a half. Coming off a big blowout win, 40 to 14 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at home. Where, but Minnesota, you saw against that Jets team, like really put up some points against the Jets team, even though Kirk Cousins didn't have a good day, even though Justin Jefferson was relatively limited. I won't say he was wholesale limited. I think him and uh, DJ Reed got into a funny spat on Twitter where DJ Reed said he was quote unquote in his shit all game. He got me that one time. And Justin Jefferson said, Call me when your coach trusts you not to have safety help. The receiver quarterback. Mental game and, and arguments on Twitter. We saw that with Justin I didn't Reed. See that. And, and I didn't see that. There's a dude. You, yeah, there's a it, lot so of good. back and forth. <laughs> there's a lot of back and forth this year. It seems between players on different teams. We had the Chiefs, uh, Bengals last week going back and forth. Uh, so the mental game, man. It's all about the mental game. But the Vikings are ten and two. Like I say, coming off a win over the New York Jets, they are a lock to make the postseason. And I think every single win, we're talking about is this Vikings team legit? This Jets win more than any win this season, in my opinion, you saw how the Vikings, and I think we talk a lot about how, what, eight of their nine or eight of their last nine games, or even it might be nine now, nine games now, they've won by one score. Like one score wins for the Vikings. And that is obviously very volatile. We talk about that in the offseason all the time when we're predicting win totals on this podcast. But something that I saw is they, they can win multiple ways, right? They can win in different ways if like Kirk Cousins has an uncharacteristically inaccurate game or uh, isn't having the day that he's had most of the season, or Justin Jefferson is going against a really good cornerback tandem and a really good defense, DJ Reed, Ahmad Garner. I think that this Vikings team is learning to win late, and I know that's volatile, and I'm not banking on them when they get into the postseason winning three games to get to the big dance because I think it's too volatile to survive a three-consecutive uh, win streak against really good football teams in the postseason. But still, this win over any win this season for the Minnesota Vikings has me putting – 
more faith in the Vikings as a contender in the NFC, especially now with San Francisco 49ers losing Jimmy Garoppolo. He won't be back at the earliest. I think it's the divisional round or the NFC championship. Not really sure. I like this Vikings team more this week than I did last week, but the market does it. The market's on Lions. The market's on Lions minus two and a half. What's your read on this line movement? Why is there money coming on the Lions now favored by two and a half at home over Minnesota? Yeah, it's interesting that that's your perspective because I watched that game last week and I saw a New York Jets team with Mike White making this road start in Minnesota, one of the most difficult places to play in the NFL, where the home field advantage matters more. And the Jets outgained the Vikings by like over 200 yards. They made six trips down into the red zone of the Minnesota Vikings to try to score points, but the Jets only converted one of six into a touchdown. The Vikings uh, were plus two in turnover margin. They had, they were, the Jets had twice as many penalties in that game. And yet here the Jets are about to score the game-winning touchdown at the end of the game with seconds left. Um, I, I, I felt like the Vikings were so fortunate with those metrics and those statistics of the way the game fell to end up winning that game. Because most of the time you get six trips to the red zone, you're going to score more than one time. I don't care what who your offense is, especially when you've got a red zone defense as bad as the Minnesota Vikings uh, red zone defenses. They rank 27th on the season. Um, the Jets really blew a bunch of opportunities to win that game in multiple ways. Now, so that's why I sort of feel like I do about the Minnesota Vikings, which is this is a team that continues to get lucky. This is a continue, uh, team that is super fortunate this year. All the bad karma that's happened to them over the last two, three years is now all writing itself in this one singular regular season. And I guess that's a good thing because it's going to help them from a seeding perspective. But I, I, I would want to be stockpiling some of this for the postseason because you're going to need to go on a run here. You need to stay healthy during the rest of the regular season. Um, but when I look at, you know, I, so I'm a little bit down on the Vikings. I, I know they've got this record. I know they're the two seed, but I'm a little bit down on them. I think their defense is extremely vulnerable and liable. Um, and I think that their offense is, is fine, but Kirk is not really actually having a very good season. Um, but then I'm trying to be as objective as possible. And I look at the, uh, the schedule that this Vikings team has faced since week nine. From week nine onward, they've done nothing but play top 10 defenses for five straight games. They played number one Dallas, number three New England, number four Buffalo, number five Jets, and number 10 Washington. So when I try to like be objective here and find something good about the, the Vikings, it's like, you guys have been going up against a brutal schedule of opposing defenses, and that's about to get significantly easier starting this week and through the rest of the season. So to answer your question before we dive into the statistics and metrics and matchups of this game, what I'll say is I definitely saw this line move coming. I anticipated that the Vikings were going to end up being a dog here, but I also agree that if this got the three, to some extent, that's a little bit of an overreaction for me. I see this as a very close game. I see this as a game that I like some of the things that we'll dive into here on a matchup perspective that favor the Detroit Lions. But um, I, I can't argue with the fact that the, the money has come in on the Lions here because I think it's more of a bet against the Vikings than it is on the Lions, but it's actually a little bit of both. Looking at 
the Minnesota Vikings offense specifically. I think if you look at this last game against the New York Jets, it is obvious, like wholesale obvious that Kirk did not play well. Like, you, like there, he was missing throws that he's not missed all season. And Justin Jefferson was limited because of that. They struggled a bit to get the run game going. It's a very good run defense. Quinn Williams was eating people alive. That was one of the best Quinn Williams games I've seen. And he dislocated his shoulder in that game, popped it back in, and was still playing. Like, it was, they have dudes on defense. I think a lot of the credit, and rightfully so, has been to Robert Sala and how he's been able to effectively you know, coach up this defense. But they've got talent, man. DJ Reed, Ahmad Garner, Quincy Williams, and Quinnen Williams, CJ Mosley, legitimate talents on this defense that I think are game-wrecking game-wrecking opposing offenses. And I think you saw that against Minnesota. They didn't have uh, Cameron Dancer, or um, not Cameron Dancer, they didn't have him in this game, but they also didn't have Christian Derrissaw, who I think is one of the better left tackles in the game. And that, I think, affected them in this one. I think they need him back. I don't know when he's supposed to be elevated off IR, when they're going to get him back, but I think him getting back is a big part of improving this offense. For me, and again, it's like coming back to like surviving that, like surviving a Derrissaw injury, surviving a bad Kirk Cousins game, surviving a limited Justin Jefferson game, and still winning against a very good Jets football team, I think is, is you know, I think Kevin Clark mentioned this on Slow News Day. Winning close games is a skill. And I think they're, develop- by, by luck of their own, they're developing that, right? They're developing that late in games. And I think for this Detroit Lions defense, and when you look at the matchup, one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Detroit has given up a lot of points this season. And I think where they really struggle is putting pressure on the quarterback. I think they're 20th in pressure rate on the season. I think they're even below that when pressuring on obvious passing situations. They don't have guys as good as Aiden Hutchinson has been in the box score. Has not been a guy that's like tearing through opposing offensive tackles and getting pressure early in the snap. And I think in the secondary, it's fallen off. They play a lot of man coverage and all those things. We talk about the Detroit Lions man coverage every single week. But I don't think the Lions defense is a good matchup for Kirk, uh, or, uh, is a good matchup versus Kirk Cousins and, and, and this Vikings offense. I think the Vikings offense is going to look objectively better against this Detroit Lions defense um, so much that it's going to be a better Kirk game this week. And I think you're going to see Justin Jefferson have a lot more success against this Detroit Lions defense. I think the offense has a bigger edge in Detroit, obviously, than they had against New York and have that kind of bounce back after a win against the New York defense. I don't know. I give the edge to the Vikings offense over the Lions defense uh, in this one. Well, so objectively, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think the Lions defense isn't great, and I think the Vikings offense is good. And so you trot those two elements out on the field. I agree. There are more edges and outs for this Vikings offense to have success. But what I will say is this. Um, I think the matchup actually isn't great, and that's one of the – for Kirk Cousins personally – And that's one of the reasons why the Lions had so much success in that first meeting against them back in week three. So let me walk through this. We mentioned the Jets and what they did last week. Um, So Kirk Cousins, we know he struggles against man coverage and he struggles against the blitz. And so let's talk about what the Jets did last week. The Jets in the first half, if if you go back and look at that game, the first half, the Vikings were moving the ball a little bit and scoring some points. In the second half, the Vikings were just punting the ball. They were doing nothing. That's how the Jets had so much ultimate time of possession and yardage And because in the second half, the Vikings offense was doing nothing. So what changed? Well, in the first half, the Jets used man coverage on only 32% of Cousins' dropbacks, which was more than their 27% rate. They knew they are smart enough. Robert Sala was smart enough to say, Kirk struggles against man. Let's use a little bit more man coverage here. They upped their rate five percentage points. When they were playing zone in the first half, Cousins averaged plus 0.24 EPA per attempt, 65% completions, and 44% success. 
But when they used man in that first half, plus 0.24 EPA dropped to minus 0.30, 44% success dropped to 29% success, and 65% completions dropped down to 43% completions. I mean, it was a night and day difference when they used man versus zone. So Salah obviously sees that, and he says, we're going to jack up our rate of man coverage even more in the second half. And instead of using it on 32% of dropbacks, which they did in the first half, which was up over 27% for the regular season, they used it on 46% of dropbacks in the second half, a massive increase, and it stopped the Vikings offense dead in its tracks versus man coverage. Kirk then averaged minus 0.74 EPA per attempt, 17% success, and 2.8% yards per attempt versus zone, he was great. 9.2 yards per attempt plus 0.37 EPA per attempt. So he stayed great versus zone, but he was terrible versus man and they used more man and it really helped them tremendously. And that is what Kirk Cousins struggles against. If you look at Kirk's man versus zone splits out of 38 quarterbacks, I won't list out all the individual statistics. I'll just tell you from a ranking perspective, he shifts from number 31 in completion rate Uh, sorry, he shifts from number six in completion rate versus zone to number 31 versus man. His yards per attempt drops off. His success rate goes from number 14 to number 30. Um, And his all of his other advanced metrics like EPA per attempt and yards per attempt decrease as well. When they met in week three versus man coverage, Kirk Cousins was 12 of 26. That's 46% completion is not good for 4.8 yards per attempt, minus 0.33 EPA, and 26% success. So he was terrible versus man in the prior meeting. He has big man zone splits overall. The Lions use man at one of the highest rates in the NFL. And I feel like the Lions are going to obviously see what the Jets did and adjusted to in the second half and say, we need to lean into as much man coverage as possible here. Although it's scary against Justin Jefferson, this is what gives Kirk Cousins more trouble. The other thing that gives Kirk Cousins trouble is blitzing. And I agree, the Lions aren't the best pressure rate team. And so they have to resort to blitzing at an above average rate in order to get above average pressure. But on the season, if you look like early downs, first three quarters, they do rank above average in pressure rate. Uh, which is actually better than the Jets over the course of the entire season. Um, and they, But they are blitzing at a slightly above average rate. But Kirk does have m- big splits versus the blitz. Again, I won't get into the details, but his completion rate drops from 10 to 33 uh, ranking. His yards per attempt drops from 19 to 36. Out of 38 quarterbacks, he's now not 36 in yards per attempt when he's blitzed on the season. And in week three, when they met earlier this year, the Jets, uh, sorry, when the Detroit Lions blitzed him, Cousins completed just 44% of his passes, 2.9 yards per attempt, minus 0.38 EPA per attempt, and 25% success on 16 passes when the Lions were blitzing him. So the Lions' defense doesn't really have to change much. They play man, they blitz. Cousins is bad against man, bad against the blitz. He was all season long. He was in week three when they met before, and he was last week against the Jets. And for those reasons, I think that like, I don't expect the Lions to absolutely hold down this Vikings offense, but I do expect the Lions are going to have some success here that might not originally be envisioned when you look at a 10-2 and two team playing a 5-7 and seven team. Um, and for those reasons, like, I think it does support a little bit of love for the Detroit Lions here. 
you know, looking at, I was looking at those same statistics you had in week three, you know, negative 0.33 EPA per drop back against man coverage in week three against the Detroit Lions. I think Justin Jefferson was held to 14 receiving yards. That was when starting outside cornerbacks for the Detroit Lions were Amani Owarie and uh, Jeffrey Akuda. Now Jerry Jacobs is playing more outside corner. That's what he played last week opposite of uh, Jeffrey Akuda. There are games this season, you know, against Buffalo, against Miami, where against man coverage, he's had significantly positive EPA per dropback averages. I think that it depends on how often you're getting pressure on, on Kirk Cousins and also how prepared I think this offense is for, you know, high, heavy doses of man coverage. 27 dropbacks. Kirk Cousins faced man coverage against the Detroit Lions in week three. That's the most of any team this season, even including the New York Jets and the adjustments they made last week. I don't know. I, I think this Minnesota Vikings team is more dialed in this week than they were in week three. And I think they're more prepared for what the Detroit Lions are going to throw on them this week than they were for week three. And I think it's going to be not necessarily a wrench spot. They beat the Detroit Lions in week three, but a spot for Justin Jefferson and, and this offense to prove that they can you know, create separation and beat man coverage. And I think Kirk Cousins in a bounce back spot. I think they have more success offensively against man coverage this week against the Detroit Lions than they did in week three. Is that enough though? And I want to flip to the other side of the ball. Is that enough for... The Minnesota Vikings defense, where I have no positives necessarily, against a Detroit Lions offense that is thriving, absolutely thriving, with Amon Ross St. Brown uh, now, now fully healthy. Benjamin Solak, who's been you know, talking about the stat on Twitter and, and referencing it on some of the podcasts, I looked it up and updated it. Lions are now averaging 0.2 EPA per pass in games where St. Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown, the receiver for the Lions, plays more than 25 snaps. He's missed some time this season. He's came out of games sometimes this season. If that was across a full year, that would be tied with the Bills for second on the season in terms of EPA per pass play. He has been, specifically on third downs, an absolute juggernaut for the Detroit Lions offense. He's, I think, the fifth most targeted player on third downs this year. If you go back and watch this game specifically against Jacksonville, time and time again, when they get in these situations where it's second and long or third and long, they're going to him and dialing up plays for him, and he is catching everything they throw his way. There's a play against Jacksonville last week where over the middle, tough down, tough first down, gets hit by Andrew Wingard, the safety for Jacksonville, gets up quick, you know, get, it survives the hit, catches the ball. I'm like That's what this offense needs, right? And I think when you see the Detroit Lions at its lowest, it's when they don't have that go-to target on third down when they get in those longer situations. Amon Ross St. Brown has been that and helped them extend drives. There's a reason the Detroit Lions didn't even barely didn't even punt in this game, right? I don't need the Detroit Lions punted against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think a lot of that is because Amon Ross St. Brown on these money downs is moving the offense. That doesn't even bring up. I think DeAndre Swift is getting better as the season progresses. Jamal Williams, I think, is the leader in the NFL in rushing touchdowns so far this year. The offensive line is one of the best in the NFL. When you look at the pockets, Jared Goff, is able to get against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense that, yeah, maybe doesn't have star pass rushers, but Josh Allen, the first overall pick, and Trayvon Walker were not getting home at all on Jared Goff in this game. He's comfortable back there, able to dice up the offense or dice up the defense. I think this Lions offense, as much as I say the Vikings offense has an edge over Detroit, there is a bigger edge for Detroit offensively versus a Vikings defense that is bottom 10 in pretty much any metric you look at this season. There is a bigger edge there. And I think that's the biggest reason why. The Lions are favored by two and a half at home in this spot. I think it's because the Detroit Lions offense and, and, and people have more, more uh, positivity or more backing behind the Lions offense outscoring a Vikings offense that maybe should have some success against Detroit. And this last game, you know, in the last time they played in week three, it was 28-24. One score, you know, one score came. I think in this one, it's going to be another one score game. And there's reason to buy, especially now at home, the Detroit Lions as that team because they can score with anybody as long as Amon Ross St. Brown is healthy. Yeah, I mean, in that last game in Minnesota, I already talked about how great of a home field advantage they have. 
The Lions were up 24 to 14 with seven minutes and 50 seconds left in the game. The Vikings had to come back and score a touchdown at 750 to pull within three and then score another touchdown with 45 seconds left uh, on a 28-yard touchdown strike to win the game 28 to 24. I mean, the Lions were up by double digits in the fourth quarter in Minnesota earlier this year. So they certainly have the formula to win a game on the road in a hostile environment. Now they're playing at home in a setting that we know Jared Goff plays much better at home. I mean, we don't have to go into the numbers. It's just obvious you turn on the game. He plays better at home. This is also such a good matchup for him from the exact opposite reasons is what we talked about with Kirk Cousins. I mean, what do the Vikings play defensively? They play zone at the number two highest rate in the NFL on 82.5% of their plays. They're in zone. And Jared Goff has big splits that favor him playing against zone, whereas, you know, Kirk Cousins is bad against man and the Lions play a lot of man. The Vikings play a lot of zone and Jared Goff is great against zone. Uh, he ranks number five in EPA per attempt, number six in success rate, number eight in yards per attempt on the season versus zone. And over the second half of the season, he's number one in EPA per attempt, number one in success rate, number three in yards per attempt versus zone. Out of every quarterback in the NFL, this guy is the best quarterback in the league over the second half of the season in terms of efficiency versus zone. And you mentioned Amon Ross St. Brown and how much of a factor he is and how much he matters to this offense. I, I don't disagree with anything that you said there. I think it is going to be a challenge for this Minnesota Vikings defense, which I think is overrated to hold down this Detroit Lions offense to prevent them from scoring. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Soccer fans, tournament action is heating up and now is the perfect time to give FanDuel a shot because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 in free bets. Haven't watched soccer in four years? Doesn't matter. You get $1,000 back in free bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to goal scored to corners. This week, I mean... I'm a big fan of Netherlands on the money line. You get them at plus 130. You can also get England at plus 100. But ah, I, I like I like Netherlands at plus 130. You can get that on FanDuel. And I like France. France versus England. France right now minus 122 on the money line. Give me France. Give me Netherlands. They're playing this week. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. FanDuel is also now live in Maryland. Marylanders. Make sure you get in on the action, also with great offers, boosts just for you. So don't miss your chance for a no-sweat first bet, up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel with promo code GAMBLERS. That's G-A-M. 
B-L-E-R-S, promo code GAMBLERS. Make every moment more with FanDuel, America's number one. Must be 21 years or older in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-878-97777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY, that's H-O-P-E-N-Y, or text HOPE-NY-467-369 in New York, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. I'll be really interested to see, too. I think there is some optimism that outside cornerback Cameron Dancer could be back for this game. The last few weeks, it's been a combination of Caleb Evans, who's a fourth-round rookie out of Missouri, Andrew Booth Jr., Duke Shelley. Evans, this past week against Garrett Wilson, turned on the tape. Like, it is rough. Number 21 was in a nightmaric situation against Garrett Wilson. You saw, even in zone coverages and off-zone coverages, just him getting exposed time and time again by Garrett Wilson. If Evans is playing in this game, I think that's a different story as well, especially now that DJ Chark is back healthy. I think um, head coach Dan Campbell gave him the game ball after you know catching some pretty passes against his former team last week. Dancer back healthy, I think, elevates this defense. Still not enough to slow down one of the top-scoring offenses in the NFL. Is it? I mean, in EPA per drive, the Lions are sixth, and that's with the Amon Ross St. Brown injuries and other injuries as well. Like, this offense can score. And I think a lot of people are going to be looking at this offense and then saying, how are they doing with Jared Goff and some of these other guys? The offensive line is good. Amon Ross St. Brown is good. And Jared Goff is not putting the ball in harm's way and has trust in some of these receivers to get open on these key money downs to extend drives. I really like this Lions offense. This is going to be a close game. I don't know how to handicap it at this point. I would have taken the Lions as a dog last week. But now seeing him at two and a half, I probably don't touch Minnesota on the spread until it gets to three. If it gets to three, I'm probably going to stay away from the spread in this one, but I'm expecting a lot of points. I think the total is set at, total set at 52 and a half, one of the highest totals on the slate. Do you look at the over there? Miami Dolphins Chargers is another high total at 52 and a half. Maybe could be a square play given both these offenses are good, but I think this is going to be a scoring barrage. I would not be surprised if there is a lot of points in this game for the, for the reasons we outlined. Both these defenses are, are going to struggle against the opposing offenses. I'm excited to see it. Ravens at Steelers next on the slate. This game's been at three. I think on Vandal right now, it's at two and a half. Steelers favored by two and a half at home. Total at 36 and a half. 36 and a half, Sharp. Is that the lowest total in the NFL we've seen this year? I don't know. Like, that is a low. I've seen it in 39. I've seen it get to 38, 37. 36 and a half is one of the lowest totals I've seen this year. This is Army-Navy stuff. Maybe that's an honor of Army-Navy playing this week. I don't know. That is a very low total for an NFL game. I know it's going to be Tyler Huntley, not Lamar Jackson. But holy shit, that is a low total. Yeah, it is a very low total. I think, uh, in part, it's because... The straw that stirs the drink of the Baltimore Ravens has been Lamar Jackson. I mean, if you if you look at this, I still can't believe they entered the season built the way that they were built. I mean, they just expected Lamar to be superhuman in order to get this team back to the playoffs. And guess what? I mean, they are the number three seed. So in a sense, they weren't wrong about expecting that. But we knew that they invested like no money into their receiving core, right? They had the cheapest receiving core in the NFL. We talk about some of these teams. It's okay. We, you know, 
a quarterback's rookie season or whatnot. But when you've got a quarterback on a rookie deal and he's cheap for the first four years of this deal, especially the first three, most teams bring in talent at the receiver position. Most teams are having some talented receivers to try to elevate the play out of the quarterback. And the Ravens just decided not to do that at all for Lamar Jackson. They tried to go out and just draft receivers. And you and I both know, especially when you're not drafting up at the top, these receivers are very, very hit or miss. And so right now we are looking at on the course of the season, the Ravens, because they invested no money into this position for Lamar, aside from Mark Andrews, who's a tight end, the Ravens top three receivers in routes run over the last couple of weeks, who is healthy, who is incorporated into this offense. Number one is Demarcus Robertson. Number two is Devin DuVernay. And number three is Deshaun Jackson. You mentioned this on our pod like two, three weeks ago. Demarcus Robinson was cut from the Raiders in August. Okay, cut from the Raiders, one of the worst teams in the league. Jackson wasn't even with the team in August or May or June or July. His contract expired with the Raiders, same Raiders last year. He wasn't in camp with any team, was a free agent until the Ravens signed him in October. And then DuVernay, listen to this. He's in year three of his rookie deal. Of 93 receivers drafted in the first three rounds of the draft since 2000, since 2000, to play at least 30 games in their first two years, DuVernay ranks 93 out of 93 in yards per reception, 85 out of 93 in receiving yards, 79 out of 93 in receptions, and that's despite him running the 37th most routes of any of those 93 receivers. Uh, their leading running back this year is Kenyon Drake, who, like Robinson, as you mentioned a couple weeks ago, was cut from the Raiders in August. I mean, that's the skill group that Lamar Jackson's working with. Uh, the Ravens have played the number eight toughest schedule of defenses in the NFL, and yet they rank number six in efficiency this season. Um, so like, I, I think Lamar has been getting this team to do something, and his stats don't look great, and his, his efficiency hasn't been as good as it's been in years past, but he's been the glue to bring this team up to ranking at one of the better offenses in the league and ranking as a team in terms of their, they rank sixth in efficiency this season, despite playing with the receivers and the running backs and despite playing the eighth toughest schedule of defenses in the league. But now you're without Lamar Jackson. And we saw what happened last year. Uh, they ranked 30th in yards per touchdown last year. They needed 192 yards to score a touchdown when Lamar Jackson was off the field. Uh, they ranked league average when he was on the field in that metric last year. It's just night and day difference. And Huntley, like he averaged 5.8 yards per attempt on 188 attempts last year, which was 39th out of 42 quarterbacks. Uh, out of those 42 quarterbacks, he ranked 41st in percentage of passes thrown 10 plus yards down the field, but number two in percentage of passes thrown one to nine air yards. So everything was like short and underneath. He doesn't throw to the backs a ton. It's just this short underneath stuff uh, that ranked behind only Cam Newton and just ahead of Taysom Hill last year. Um, so I, I just, I don't love this offense with him in there. It was hard to like this offense even without him in there. Now that you take away Lamar, it's just going to be a struggle to see how much this team's going to score. The one positive I'll say with Huntley in uh, over Lamar Jackson, I don't think there's uh, any significant positives. I thought, I th I've said at times this year that Lamar Jackson was playing at an MVP level. The only reason no one was talking about it is because he's playing with legitimately, actually, 
a list of Raiders castaways. And Demarcus Robinson, Deshaun Jackson, Kenyon Drake. Like, this is like legitimately one of the worst supporting casts in the NFL. And he was keeping them alive single-handedly against the grain versus Greg Roman, the offensive play caller, in my opinion, against all, all you know injuries to Rashad Bateman and, and a bad receiving core, an underinvested receiving core. The positive or for me is that I think this offense will go to its best player more often in Mark Andrews. I, I, you know, you look at the splits last year when Tyler Huntley was playing versus when Lamar Jackson was playing, 10 and a half or 10 and a quarter targets per game for Mark Andrews, over 105 receiving yards per game in the four games they played. Like he was very much the safety blanket, whatever you want to call it, the security blanket for Tyler Huntley when he was starting. I think you're going to see more Mark Andrews in these games. And I think that's where the offense has to go. Stop. High, percent, high percentage targets on money downs to Demarcus Robinson and Patrick Ricard and these other players, Devin Duvernay, as you said, 93rd of 93rd qualifiers and yards per reception. Like they need to, in my opinion, focus the offense on Mike Andrews, get back to the simplicity. And I think they're going to do that. That I don't necessarily think is going to help them score a lot of points. That's evidence in the total at 36 and a half. But they need to hunker down, focus the offense to Mark Andrews and try and score enough points like they did last week, 10-9 and a win over the Denver Broncos to beat up on some of these teams. Because if they don't, yeah, they're 89% according to 538's playoff projections model to get into the postseason. But the Bengals are right there with them at 8-4 and four to win this division. And I know they play at the end of the season. That'll be deciding in Week 18, potentially, who wins the AFC North. They need to win enough games with Huntley as Jack Smith has won multiple weeks, maybe. They need to win enough games. I think that's getting the offense and centering it around Mark Andrews. Other side of the ball, Steelers, 5-7. and seven. They have a, they have a, they're a long shot to make the postseason. There's a lot of other AFC teams better positioned to make the playoffs. That's the Jets, even the Chargers at six and six, better positioned to get that last seed, that seventh seed in the AFC wildcard race. But man, I think the positives for the Steelers, even if they don't make the postseason, is Kenny Pickett, their first round pick out of Pittsburgh, has played a lot better in recent weeks. And I think when you, when you watch what Kenny Pickett has done, specifically on third downs, he has in a lot of ways, Watch the game slow down, right? The game has slowed down for him. He is getting to his second and third progressions on third downs more so than he was earlier in the year. He's not panicking under pressure and legitimately keeping this offense and sustaining drives this offense on third downs. I think where he's improved the most is those areas. And when you are improving in those areas, and that is how like an offense can score points. Like That's how, you, as a rookie quarterback, you start to improve things. I think Pickett has played a lot better over the last three weeks. Confidence, moxie, all those things that you need to see in him as he develops. And I think Mike Tomlin, the head coach of Pittsburgh, sets the standard every single week to have Pickett improve. I think at a press conference a couple weeks ago, he said, whether we win or we lose, I'm going to tell you every single week, Kenny Pickett's getting better because that's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to do. And you see that. You see Pickett getting better every single week. I don't know if that's enough. And again, the Steelers are favored by three at home over the Baltimore Ravens over the Tyler Huntley-led Ravens. I don't know if that's enough for them to sneak into the playoffs. 6% chance according to 538. But man, I really do like how Kenny Pickett's playing ball right now. Favored in this spot over Huntley and the Ravens. I might be back in Pickett in this one, Warren. This one's tough only because you look at the Steelers and they played their last two games on the road in domes. And now they're coming back to play outdoors against a very good run defense. The Steelers had success over the last couple of games, running the ball. We've seen them lean more into the run that started after their bye. They started running the football more against the Cincinnati Bengals, had some success uh, in that game. Then they went to Indy, ran the ball a little bit against that defense, obviously had success running the ball against the Atlanta Falcons, whose defense is terrible. Now you're going up against a Baltimore Ravens team that actually has a very strong and stout run defense. Uh, they rank number six against the run. Every single other team that the Steelers have played since week eight 
ranks 15th or worse against the run. So this is the first time you're playing a top 10 run defense and they rank sixth. I, I think for good reason, this line is is low. I was a little surprised in the amount of movement towards uh, towards Pittsburgh that came in here after the Lamar Jackson injury. But then I guess, again, I guess I shouldn't be given how much Lamar means to this team. I think this is going to be an ugly back and forth, low scoring game. A lot of punting in this one, a lot of field position battle potentially with these two teams. Uh you know, Mike Tomlin knows how important this game is at home. I've been, you know, impressed with what I've seen from Kenny Pickett, but uh, we've seen a couple games here in domes, and and I'm interested to see how he performs outdoors against uh, against this uh, Ravens defense. Kenny, two gloves outdoors. Will the weather affect him in Pittsburgh? Two and a half <laughs> point favorites. I, I'm interested to see uh, where, where this game goes. I agree that it's going to be close. I, I, I find myself more interested in backing Pickett, whether that's on the money line at minus 145, or even taking the two and a half that you're getting in some markets. I find myself more interested in backing Pickett than I do want to back the Baltimore Ravens. I think we're going to just see how bad this offense will be, how bad this offense will look without Lamar Jackson. I think every single game we see with Huntley is more and more reason to pay that guy, pay that man, pay Lamar Jackson. Don't let him get away. Don't let him test free agency because that he is the reason, the only reason the Baltimore Ravens are positioned right now to win the AFC North, the only reason they are playoff competitive. I think we're going to find that out with Huntley in. Really quickly, I want to get to Bucks Niners, but I had this game on the list. Yes, uh, it's Jags at Titans. Titans were, when I wrote this up, three and a half point favorites. That line has now moved to four and a half on FanDuel. This is from ESPN's um, Mike DiRocco. Trevor Lawrence will not practice Wednesday. We're recording this Wednesday. And Doug Peterson, the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, calls him day to day and unsure if Lawrence will be able to play Sunday. Out of playoff contention at four and eight, there are a lot of teams five and seven, a lot of teams six and six, a lot of teams better positioned to make the playoffs. They, 538 puts their odds at 2%. I would be really surprised if Trevor Lawrence does play in this game. Why not put him on the shelf? Why not be really cautious with the injury? I was surprised he came out in the second half last week. It was a gruesome looking knee injury at the end of last week or end of the first half uh, against the Detroit Lions. That game was already getting out of hand. He comes back. And still plays a lot of that second half, despite losing. I don't know, man. I think they got to be careful with Trevor Lawrence in that knee injury. Not, not put, not, not stress things. Not get overly dangerous with putting him back. I would not be surprised if Trevor Lawrence in that report leads to C.J. Beathard, the backup in Jacksonville, playing. It's a game. It's a it's a game that's hard to handicap without knowing who's going to play at quarterback. I'm staying away from this line until we know. But it's hard to imagine that the Jacksonville Jaguars play Trevor Lawrence in this spot. Look, I completely agree. Betting Trevor Lawrence's rushing yards over last week was one of my single biggest bets of the week. And he had a couple of nice runs, but was just below the total when he hurt his ankle. And I thought the bet was done for. And then to see him actually, especially the way that he injured himself, I thought, especially with the with the way the scoring in the game was going, I didn't expect to see him again. But then he came back out and ended up producing 32 rushing yards and we went over the total. So I was pleased with that, but for sure, um, this is a tough spot because you don't really want to be betting on the Titans when they're a favorite. Under Vrabel, the Titans are 10 wins and 12 losses against the spread. That's 45.5% when favored by over three points. We know that they're 60% covering when they're dogs of any kind. And so is a great team to bet on when they're dogs, a great team not to bet on when they're favored. And it's hard to predict. Your point on them being a 2% probability to make the postseason, I mean, they do care about things like that. I think that they probably... Um, it, this game, though, is interesting because they're only three games behind 
the Tennessee Titans. Just they've got four wins. The Titans have seven. And if they can steal a win head to head against the Titans, who are projected to win this division, like I still think that this is a big game for them. Now, they obviously would have to go on a run down the stretch and their schedule is not necessarily easy. So this is an opportunity to go head to head. Like if they were playing a lesser team and they'd already played a couple games against the Titans and had no ability to like get a win against that number one seed in the AFC South, I might be more inclined to say, yeah, rest them. It's over. But if they win this game, suddenly, you know, there might be a little bit of life to them uh, thinking that they could do something down the stretch here. So I really don't know. Um, it is a smart forward thinking organization, but I have a feeling if if they feel like Trevor can make it out there, that they're going to play him um, as opposed to just pack it in for the rest of the season because of who they're playing um, right here in the Tennessee Titans. But very tough call. And I agree, completely difficult to handicap if we don't know who it is. Will be interesting to follow. I would encourage not betting on that game until you know who's starting uh, at, at the quarterback position for Jacksonville. And I think it's it's important to to understand, you know, if I think Trevor Lawrence doesn't play, I, I think that uh, that's a essential white, white flag, waving the white flag for the Jacksonville Jaguars on this season. But you're right. It's smart to, to recognize that this is a divisional game. It's against a team that's top-seeded in the division right now. If you think Trevor Lawrence is healthy enough and that gives you that, sh- that shot to get back to the playoff race, specifically in the AFC South, maybe you do it. I had all these notes on, how bad the Tennessee Titans offenses looked, especially after Traylon Burks got hurt against Philadelphia Eagles, really struggling right now to create yards before first contact. That offensive line is struggling. They're averaging 0.8 yards before first contact when they hand the ball off. That, that As good as Derrick Henry is, that is a hard stat to overcome. As big and as successful as Derrick Henry is, it's a hard stat to overcome. And then when you look at the passing defense, their corners are small, man, very small. Christian Fulton, uh, Roger McCreary, and when they go against bigger receivers, they struggle. And I don't think that, you know, Zay Jones is probably the biggest receiver the Jacksonville Jaguars have. I don't know if they'd be imposing against this Titans pass defense, but it's 31st in passing yards allowed per game. And they haven't created as much pressure as they probably wanted to. I thought this might be a good matchup for the Jags with Trevor Lawrence healthy. Will be a hard game to handicap without knowing who starts. Yeah, the last other thing, least, just, to add real, just to add real quick before we get to the last game, is that this is the first meeting against the Tennessee Titans for Jacksonville this year. So it's not like they already have lost a head-to-head against them. They play them this week, and then they'll play them again in Week 18. And you're right. I mean, look, what do the Tennessee Titans want to do? They want to run the football. And the Jacksonville Jaguars, the strength of their defense is defending the run game. And we also know that the weakness of the Titans is the passing attack. So you're going to need a quarterback who could throw the ball down the field a little bit. I'm not a big Jacksonville Jaguars fan. I know some people were buying in on them and looking for every silver lining to, especially after that comfort behind win against the Baltimore Ravens. And and I like the Lions last week. I think the Li- I thought the Lions were a great bet. Um, and I had no love for the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars last week going in there. But you know, I I would have to try to figure out ways to talk myself off of not wanting to be on the Jacksonville Jaguars here if Trevor Lawrence was up because. I think there are a couple of matchup edges for them here, even though I think the Tennessee Titans are the better team and the better coached team, Um, and uh, especially the injuries along the Tennessee Titans. I mean, look, Derrick Henry has not been running the football very well whatsoever. Uh, And, you know, over the last like four or five weeks or so, like this rushing attack for the Tennessee Titans has been like running through quicksand. And as a result, I mean, this offense isn't really getting anything done because they rely so much on Derrick Henry and early down runs. And, you know, you take away that game script and this is a team that really struggles. So maybe the, the answer would be, 
you know, let if you're in game betting, right, this would be a good time to do that. You wait and see A, if Trevor Lawrence is up, B, if Trevor Lawrence looks good, and C, you watch to see if the Titans get out and score something early, which they typically do. They're a very good game script team and very bad offensively after that point in time. As long as Trevor looks somewhat reasonable and the Titans get a quick score potentially, that's when you in-game bet the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that might be a great strategy for this one. Last note on this game. You know, I think some of the reason that people are looking for every silver lining to why, you know, to why the Jacksonville Jaguars are a better team than the record suggests. I mean, they have a better point differential than the Titans this year. The Titans have a negative 21 point differential. You know, the, the Jags are at 14. Like a lot of people are backing the Jaguars as like a more competitive team than their four and eight record suggests. I, I think the, the other note I'll make is Tennessee, regardless of Trevor Lawrence plays, this needs to be a get right game for the offense. Jacksonville against Detroit. And that play-action heavy game, like they run the ball, they, they, they have a very diverse and multiple run game, and they run a lot of play-action off of it. Those linebackers were in hell, had them in hell because of how effective the run game is and how effective the play-action game is. That's how Tennessee wants to run this offense. Tennessee wants to run the football and run play-action off of it. That's what Ryan Tannehill does best. That's what the offense is built for. This should be, or should Titans should look this to be a get-right game for the offense and, and a confidence booster is they will head into the postseason, especially if they win this game. I, I'm interested to see you know, the game plan against this Jacksonville Jaguars defense and, and how Tennessee has... The, the offense has looked anemic, man. Derrick Henry has not run the football well. The offensive line hasn't looked well. And you go back to that Eagles game, Traylon Burks catches a stellar touchdown pass to tie the game with Philadelphia 7-7. Gets hit, knocked out of the game. I think he suffered a concussion in that one. And the offense just died after that. No explosiveness. Still can't get Henry going. They, they only scored 10 points in that game. I think that against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense, they have to start finding ways for this offense to be more explosive, more efficient, even if Traylon Burks isn't able to play, even if the offensive line is struggling. Because if they're going to beat teams in the postseason, it's going to be very difficult to do so if that offense is, is, is struggling uh, in, in January. Last game here, Bucks at Niners. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to shock you here. I guess I'm probably not going to shock you. You've looked at the line. But Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the 2022 NFL Draft, Iowa State player, was a four-year starter there, is a three-and-a-half-point favorite over Tom Brady, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. No, I'm not even going to say it. The greatest quarterback of all time. Would you ever expect to see that in your lifetime, Warren? Would you ever? <laughs> I, I'm asking. I'm asking. Have you, would you have ever expected that Tom Brady would be a three-and-a-half-point dog to Brock Purdy. Now, I know that the San Francisco 49ers at home, the defense is playing phenomenal. The Bucs have looked awful this year. You go back to last week's game, 55, 56 minutes. They were one of the worst offenses I've ever seen. But man, we got Brady, the GOAT, as a three and a half point dog against Brock Purdy. I think a lot of people are salivating at taking that number. I don't disagree. And no, if you said before the season, we're not sure which team he's going to play on, but Brock Purdy is going to be starting a game against Tom Brady. I think everybody would be looking to uh, determine how many points they would have to lay taking Tom Brady as opposed to catching three and a half points by uh, betting on him in this spot. Um, it's interesting to see, you know, they they really were efficient last week with Brock Purdy in there offensively to an extent. I mean, better than what I think a lot of people expected. He played better than I expected. I was expecting a disaster. It wasn't a disaster. Um, but Here's the facts. Since Jimmy G joined the team in 2017, they're plus 0.07 EPA per snap with him in the game, and they're minus 0.08 EPA per snap with him out of the game. What does that equate to on a league-wide ranking? They literally move from number two in the NFL in EPA per snap with Jimmy G to number 31, the second best team to the second worst team 
depending upon whether or not Jimmy G is out there. It's one of the big reasons that they're 38 and 17 with him there and 9 and 29 with him out since 2017. Um, you know, I'm looking at this 49ers team. Obviously, the Bucks defense needs to show up here if you're going to win a game on the road as a dog. The 49ers have played just two defenses that rank above average. Again, we're not talking about high standard here. Just be above average. And they played the number seven Broncos and the number 15 Saints. And they scored 10 points against the Broncos and 13 points against the Saints. That's with all the pieces that they've got offensively. I guess Christian McCaffrey wasn't there when they played the Broncos. And that's with Jimmy G. And now you're going up against the number eight Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, and you're doing so without Jimmy G. Um, I think it's going to be a tough task. I mean, this line uh, is is coming down, obviously, but I'm interested to see where it goes from here and you know what, what ultimately you're going to be able to lay, because I see some spots in Vegas are now minus three on the San Francisco 49ers as opposed to the three and a half. So I'm interested to see where it goes from here. At three, at two and a half, I, I like the 49ers. I think that the defense is going to outclass what the Bucs have offensively. And I think they're going to be outcoached. I think that as good as Tom Brady is, he's going to need to get into the hurry up again in the last four minutes of the game again to like actually have a chance of coming back and winning this. And he doesn't even win that game if Dennis Allen doesn't call a pass play on 31, in my opinion. <laughs> like, I mean, there's a handful of things that were gifted to Tom Brady and the Bucs to help them win that game. I still think Tom Brady is a top 10 quarterback in this league. I think everything else about the Bucs is concerning. Defensively, this is where the Bucs need to have the edge. Like the Bucs cannot go into this game and not see blood in the water, chum in the water with Brock Purdy. Now, San Francisco, Kyle Shanahan is better positioned than any coach in the NFL to put Brock Purdy in a position to succeed. You saw that last week. Brock Purdy came in and looked good. He was throwing under pressure, getting the ball to the checkdowns. The offense was still efficient. They put up 30 plus against the Miami Dolphins defense that flipped their game plan a bit as soon as Brock Purdy came in. They blitzed more, they ran more man coverage, but still, Purdy looked good, and that's a tip of the cap to Kyle Shanahan that will continue to tip as long as he's playing with backup quarterbacks every single year. I got you got to see it from Bowles and this defense this week. You have to. Have to frustrate Purdy. You have to Mr. Irrelevant this guy. Like, I don't know. I, I'm interested to see if this Bucks defense you know, rises up, right? Because I think the Niners defense is going to suffocate Brady in this offense as it's been suffocated all season. But can Tampa Bay, Vita Vea, Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, Antoine Winfield, like they have so, Levante David, like they have so much talent defensively. Can you limit Brock Purdy? Yes, Kyle Shanahan's good. Yes, they have Devo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, a good offensive line, Trent Williams, all that stuff. You have to, you have to rise to the occasion here. You have to show up. And I think if Bowles, with all the late game management concerns, with all the timeout concerns, this is where he's got to put on his masterclass. Say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dial it up here. I'm gonna get in my bag. I'm gonna go full Lou Anarumo on these guys. And I'm gonna find ways to limit this offense with Brock Purdy under center. Warren, as always, fantastic stuff. Really appreciate you jumping on the show. And, jumping on the show. We, we host this every single week. Really appreciate you hosting the show all season. It's been, it's been fantastic. Shout out to our producer on a fill-in spot. Wargon, celebrating in Hawaii. So we have Stefan Anderson producing the show. Uh, until next time, Oscar Warren Sharp, the ringer, Daily Show.